Is he worthy? Yes, he is. I love that song. We sang that this past year at the Southern Baptist Convention with 12,000 people. It was amazing. It really was. Uh, I just was going back to that as we were singing it here today. A little bit of heaven. Heaven is going to be an amazing place, and we're going to sing, and the Lord is worthy. So this morning, I'm excited to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, as we talk about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. When I first entered into ministry, uh, I was coming from a very different place, not very different, but with respect to this, very different. And this is the linchpin of ministry. So I think it's right to say that I was coming from a very different place in ministry because the way that I was raised, though very orthodox and very true to the scriptures, was a tradition of church that did not emphasize the Holy Spirit. And I went to a seminary, two seminaries that were very orthodox, which I love and appreciate and made me the person that I am today. But they did not emphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't remember uh, many Uh, classes or preachers or anyone that spoke much about the Holy Spirit or spoke about seeking the Holy Spirit. And so when I went into the first pastoral ministry that I had, I went in, and now looking back on it, with a great hope in my personal charisma, the education that I had, the big building, the first church I pastored in was nothing like this. It was not an old grocery store. It was a stone glass, stained glass, rich stained glass windows, a massive pipe organ, a seven-story educational building, and a gigantic endowment. And all of these things led me to believe that this was going to be the the way in which ministry succeeded. And that through work ethic and planning and organization and all these things, surely ministry would grow and thrive in this place. It was a complete disaster, if you know anything about my story. Uh, That was the the first ministry, the first pastorate that I had ended up as a complete and total disaster. And we ended up leaving the ministry and going into uh, where I work now. And the Lord put me on the bench of ministry for 10 years. So I did nothing in ministry. I I taught a Sunday school class and sat in the back row for 10 years. The work of God can only be accomplished by the power of God. I said that to you a couple of weeks ago, and I mean it because it's true. God's work, we can do a lot of stuff by ourselves, but we cannot change people's hearts and souls. We cannot do the work of ministry apart from the Holy Spirit of God. So we're going to see in our, in our, our story, our, our passage this morning, the Lord putting people on the, the sidelines for 10 days. For me, it was 10 years. It was a lot longer. But it took that for me to understand truly that only by the Spirit of God can the work of God be accomplished. And so what we're going to take up here this morning is what is the, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Lord promised that he would be with us in the building of the church until he came again. And so the work of the Holy Spirit beginning in an outpouring here in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2 continues to where we are today. I would ask you please to stand this morning to honor the Lord as we read his word in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God." And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. All right, so we're at the day of Pentecost. It's very important to understand that the day of Pentecost is not something that was named after this day. It's a part of the Old Testament calendar. The day of Pentecost, meaning the 50th day, is the 50th day after the Passover, and it's synonymous with the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. And so it is a time of feasting, a time that the Lord God himself set apart in the Feast of Weeks all the way back in Leviticus. It is a time of rejoicing, not over the harvest of a field, but over a harvest of souls. Because the Feast of Weeks was a time in the calendar of the year set apart for the people of Israel to rejoice over the bringing in of harvest. And so I want us to see that it is not a coincidence that the time set aside by God back in Leviticus to have a celebration over a time of renewal is the very day that the Lord sends his Holy Spirit. There is always a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is a constant uh, fulfilling and extending of what we see in the Old Testament into new things in the New Testament, things that become greater and are fulfilled. And so something that was beyond what anyone could imagine in the Old Testament takes place here according to the purposes of the Lord in the New Testament. And so I want to put the timeline together a little bit between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus in the time of Pentecost because I think it's important to see what's happening here. In chapter 1, verse 3 in the book of Acts, it says that there's 40 days between the time of the cross of Christ and the ascension of Christ. 40 days where Jesus is ministering to the people, he's bearing witness to his resurrection, and is speaking about the kingdom of God. In John chapter 19, verse 31, we see that Jesus is crucified on the day before the Passover. And so he is in the tomb the day of Passover and resurrects from the dead the day after Passover. And so if we put the timeline of these various things together, you've got 40 days from the cross to the ascension and then approximately 10 more days from the ascension to the time of the Pentecost. Ten days of these disciples coming off the Mount of Ascension and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 2, we see that this 120 that's spoken of in chapter 1 are all together for this day, this feast day of Pentecost. But as they are there, not aware of what is going to happen, which is so often the way the, the Lord works, it says that suddenly the Holy Spirit comes into their midst, a, an unannounced thing. Every one of us are called to walk and live by faith. 
They did not know that this was going to happen on this day. They were just waiting on that day. They were doing what God had asked them to do. They were leaning in. They were seeking after the Lord. And the Lord meets them in this remarkable way according to his purposes and according to his plans. And so we're going to see four things that happen here this morning. There's sound, there's fire, there's the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then there is the speaking in tongues and the proclamation of the gospel that people might hear. So let's begin with the sound. It says, and suddenly, in verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It's important to see that it, it came from heaven. They understood that this was a work of the Lord. The Lord was doing something in their midst. And it was not a wind, it says it was a sound of a wind. It was the sound of something that was as if a great wind was pressing through the house. And we'll see in verse 6 that it was heard outside of the house as well. My understanding of this is sort of like all of us have had some time when we were in the house and a, a big gust of wind or the, the starting of a storm happens and you just hear things rustling outside and it, it, it shocks you a little bit and you pull back the curtains or look outside as to what in the world is going on. And you magnify that to the extent that it sounds like a hurricane is blowing through your house and wondering what in the world is going on. That's what's happening here. And it's happening to such an extent that it makes a ruckus and people draw into what is happening. Well, it should not surprise us that the coming of the Holy Spirit is marked by the sound of a great rushing wind, because this is the great New Testament period of the, of the outpouring of God's Spirit and power, the day of Pentecost. In the Old Testament, that great outpouring of the power of God is on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, it's also not a silent time. It's a different sound. It's the sound of a trumpet that grows and grows and grows until it's deafening. It's so loud. And in the Old Testament, the, the, the sound of the trumpet was the call of God for the people to worship. Here in the New Testament, the sound of a great rushing wind goes together with the idea of the Spirit of God coming. Because the Spirit of the Lord, that the word itself, Spirit, relates to wind. It is, relates to the breath of God or the outpouring of the Lord like the, the breath of the Lord. It's, it's a word that relates to the inexpressible divine essence of the Lord. There's no one word that you can put to uh, an expression of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. But this word relates to wind or breath. In John chapter 3, we see this with Jesus as he's speaking to Nicodemus. And he's speaking to Nicodemus about new birth and about the work of the Holy Spirit. So the, the wind or the work of the Holy Spirit, spoken of in John chapter 3, like a wind blowing. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, the work of the Holy Spirit is like the wind blowing, and you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going, but it blows where it wants to go. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it, you don't know where it exactly is coming from or exactly where it's going, but the work of the Holy Spirit will be according to God's will, and it will blow. You will not necessarily see it, but you will see the effects of it and the power of it. And so all these things roll together into the idea that God's Spirit is at work in a way similar to the wind. And so there is the great sound of a rushing wind that comes upon them to begin this initiation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Second is the marker of fire. Verse 3, and divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. 
The marker of fire is one of the most common representations of the Lord in all of the Bible. Constantly, from beginning to end, there are relationships to the representation of the Lord's presence and fire. And in this situation, a bit of it is resting upon each person. In the Old Testament, uh, fire is used to represent the presence of God in all kinds of different ways. But the most important and the one that specifically relates to this morning is the way in which the pillar of fire guided the people in the Old Testament. So when the people were delivered from slavery by the power of God and they were taken into these wanderings in the desert, the scriptures tell us very clearly that the Lord led the people by a pillar of cloud during the day and fire at night. And I want to read a passage to you from Exodus that sort of summarizes the way that the Lord works in this way. Because he has them build a tabernacle according to his will. A tabernacle is a tent of worship. And they break it down and they move it and they set it up and they worship and they break it down and they set it up and they move it. And until it is established as a permanent temple, the people worship in this way with the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And the pillar of fire is specifically related to the Lord displaying his presence among his people. These are the very last verses of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the church was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day and by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So it's it's amazing to think about this. This encamped people in mass encamped around this tabernacle with a a flame of fire above the tabernacle which represented to them the presence of the Lord with them and we'll see as the people get more wicked and more evil eventually the, the presence of the Lord departs from the tabernacle and that's a serious serious problem but what we have here is a small representation of what was in the Old Testament now appearing again in the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, as fascinating and neat as it would have been to have seen this and to know that the presence of the Lord is with our nation and with our people, still the presence of the Lord was divided three parts out from the people in the holiest place that only the high priest could go into once a year. The Lord was still very distant in a certain way from the people. But what we have happening here with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the Lord coming very, very near to each and every person. It seems that there is this start of a flame that then is divided to where it is eventually over top of each and every person, which is a a direct representation of what is happening in the Old Testament, that the Spirit of the Lord is near unto and with and abiding in every individual person there. They didn't understand exactly what was going on at this point in time. But as we get into the scriptures, we have much teaching about the indwelling nature of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is not just available to us to reach out to in some faraway place. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to a certain city to be near to the Lord. The Lord sends his presence to be with us and near us. And it is very important to see that it's on each 
person. We know this group of people, they're devout disciples of Jesus Christ. And the spirit of the Lord is upon every man and every woman, every individual person indwelling by the Holy Spirit. And so the next thing that we see is the filling of the Spirit. This is, these are all indications of God's Spirit powerfully being poured out and being individually related to the individual people that are there. And the divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the first time that we're going to see this phrase many times in the book of Acts. So this is the first time I'm going to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to keep talking about it in many different ways as we go through the book of Acts. Because it is a central phrase to the book of Acts. And this goes back to what I started with here in the sermon. I did not hear this phrase talked about enough and pressed enough when the way that I grew up and the tradition that I grew up. It was not emphasized enough. The filling of the Holy Spirit is extremely important. When we look back a little bit in the Gospel of John, and John chapter 14 and 16 are very important to Jesus introducing the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That was an incomprehensible statement during the ministry of Jesus. They, all that they are enjoying and experiencing in the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I leave you. Like that, that, there was no way that they could grasp what was going on or what Jesus was talking about. But what he says in John 14, 17, is this, that the Spirit will be with you and will be in you. Relates to exactly what we're talking about here. And in John chapter 14 and 16, Jesus begins to introduce to his disciples the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to see worked out in the book of Acts and beyond. The ministry of the Holy Spirit as a helper, one who comes alongside us and is very near to us to help us to do what we could never do on our own for the Lord, the works of the Lord. He is the spirit of truth who comes and ministers God's truth to us by his word. He is one who convicts of sin, convicts us of sin, convicts the world of sin. He teaches and he illumines our hearts. As we read the scriptures, he makes them known to us, that things that were either confusing or dead to us before become alive, become powerful, become life-transforming by the work of the Holy Spirit. And he reminds us of forgotten truth, Every one of us here are forgetful. You can read things and forget them. Sometimes I'm, I'm just sadly amazed at how quickly I can forget things. But thank the Lord for his spirit who comes and reminds me of things that I need to be reminded of in the time that I needed to be reminded of them. Well, many of the same things that Jesus did were these types of things, but what is happening here is that they are multiplied personally to each and every one of us. So there's no more having to crane your neck to Jesus standing up on the tip of the boat and pressing in because there's only one person in one house and I just couldn't get in the house. So I guess I'm just not going to get to hear from Jesus today. No more of that. Because God's Spirit ministers to the hearts of each and every person as we believe and trust and seek after Him. The work of the Holy Spirit has always been with us because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. The work of the Holy Spirit has been constant in the Old Testament, but it's always in the background. 
The main emphasis in the Old Testament is the, the providential purposes of God the Father being set out and begun to be worked out. In the Gospels, the primary emphasis is upon Jesus, the Son of God, come to accomplish our salvation. And now in the book of Acts and going forward in the rest of the New Testament, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the work of applying the work of salvation to the hearts of those who believe. And so this is the establishment of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the power of God at work individually in us, then collectively together in the church is what is happening here. So this word filled with the Spirit has to do with other phrases that we've already looked at in weeks past. The baptism of the Spirit, uh, which has to do with being immersed in the power of God. There's something going on here, and as it is explained, the Spirit of God is powerfully around them. They are immersed in the power of God in a way that they were not before. And it strengthens them in the inner person to go and do things that they would not have done before and could not have done before. And so there's something about their lives as they go out filled with the Spirit. Every time that there is a, a strengthening, a, an empowering by the Spirit, they do something that is marked by something supernatural. That something happens that people can only say that was a work of the Lord. That was not something of personal charisma. It is something of the Lord. So the filling of the Spirit always relates to two basic ends. And those ends are the glory of Jesus and the building up of the church. The Spirit is given for the glory of Jesus and the building up of the church. And so whenever there is the filling of God's spirit and the work of the spirit in the life of a person, it's going to lead to the glory of Jesus and the building up of the church. All right, so we've seen the wind, the sound of the wind, the, the fire upon the people, and now the filling of the Holy Spirit, which will result, we'll see in a moment, in the speaking of tongues. But to be filled by the Holy Spirit is something we should constantly be seeking. This is something that was, it did not take root in my heart until much later in my life, that I should be seeking this thing, this idea of being filled with God's Spirit. And I think there's two different things going on here, and like I said, we'll talk about this much more uh, because this is going to unfold constantly. There is the coming to salvation, the being born again and being indwelled with God's Spirit, which is the beginning of the seal and the presence of God's Spirit in our life. And then there is, it's not, a, it's not a second level of things, but there is a greater leaning in to where there is a greater display of the work of God's Spirit in our life. And I believe that in every Christian, this, this ebbs and flows because we are very sinful and imperfect people. But when we lean into and seek after the Lord in the same basic way that we see these believers seeking after Christ, the Lord will give us the filling of His Spirit. It begins with simply earnestly seeking after Jesus in his word and by prayer. That's what's happening in this early church. They're seeking after the teaching of the apostles and they're praying earnestly together. They are seeking after the Lord in an intentional way. Secondly, they're living at peace with each other and in fellowship with other Christians. As we live at peace with each other and loving each other and seeking after the Lord, it brings harmony in the church. And they are living in obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is described as a Holy Spirit. 
because God is holy. And he has given various commands to us that we might walk and live in his ways. And if we are living in rebellion against the Lord, we should not expect a great presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. But when we are earnestly from the heart, seeking after the Lord and living in harmony with those around us in the church and seeking after Christ through obeying his ways and earnestly pressing in, desiring more of the presence of the Lord, he will give us more of his presence. That's not something that should shock us. But we just get into a routine where we feel like we've basically got this thing and it's going in a, dire- in a direction that we feel like we can handle and it's not until crisis often where things get out of our hands and we feel like, man, I cannot handle this and I need to go back to these basics and really press in and seek the Lord that he might be at work in my life. What should be happening though is that we are earnestly pressing in and seeking the presence of the Lord on a regular basis in a passionate, full-hearted way that those who seek me will find me when they seek me with all of their heart. And so as we seek the Lord and we ask for more of his spirit, if you're attentive to what is happening here in this service, there's not a week that goes by that I don't pray and ask for the Lord to pour out his spirit on this congregation. I pray this myself before I get here. We pray it together as a group before the 930 service begins. We, I Bow my knee. There's a reason why I do that, folks, because I realize that I cannot do what's, what's happening up here. It's terrifying for me to get up here. And I, it, it reminds me of something I read a long time ago about Spurgeon. He was talking about believing in the Holy Spirit and, and his inadequacy to come up there and preach. And every time before he would get up and preach, he would remind himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit because it's only by the work of God's Spirit that anything is going to happen here. And so I pray that same prayer. I lean in and ask God to be at work in a way that I can never do. I I can never change your heart. I can't convince you that there's a God. I can't cause you to repent from your sins, but I can call you to the Lord, and I can pray for you, and I can ask for God to do his work in your heart. And as we seek the Lord and ask for more of his spirit, he will give us the fruit of his spirit. He will bear the beautiful fruits of the character of Jesus in your life and in mine. And together that fruit is born in a way that makes the church a beautiful thing, a place of peace, a place of joy, a place of love and kindness as we care for and love and forgive one another for Jesus' sake. We will be gifted according to the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are given for the building up of the church. We'll talk more about that. There's much in the scriptures about this. We'll be empowered to some of us to preach and teach in a particular way, but all of us are empowered to bear witness of Jesus, to be on mission, to say something about Jesus. It seems like in this passage that all the people are saying something about the mighty works of God and people are listening. We will find our place of service in the local church. On this occasion, all of this comes together to this speaking of the mighty works of God to an incredibly diverse audience. And it results in a supernatural work of speaking in tongues, which is the fourth thing here this morning. We see the the wind, the fire, the filling of the Spirit, and the speaking in tongues. It is inaccurate to think that every time a person is filled up with the Holy Spirit of God, they're just going to start speaking in tongues. That's not what we see here in the book of Acts. We see that God's filling
filling of his spirit results in always people proclaiming something about Jesus, speaking about the salvation of God, and something that is distinctly remarkable that you have been with or the power of God is upon your life. It's something that causes people to give glory to God. And in this occasion, it is a proclaiming of the gospel and then something supernatural. And the supernatural thing that happens is that this preaching is understood by people from all over the known world. It is a supernatural work that the gospel might be heard. It talks about people from all over the world. This is the known world. This is the outer edges of what was known at that point in time. People were here in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the crossroads of the world. It was then, and it really still is now. If you've never been to Jerusalem, it is the most international place I've ever been to. You just walk down the street, and you'll hear 10 different languages. There's people from all over the place in that city today, just like it was back then. And they were gathered together for a specific feasting time, and so the Lord has this phenomenon happen that draws people together. It results in the preaching of the powerful works of God, and then there is the understanding of what is being preached by a divine translation mechanism so that the people can hear and understand what is being said. It says in verse 11 that the disciples were proclaiming the mighty works of God. There's a lot that could go under that. If you think back to the Old Testament and the Gospels, what are the mighty works of God? A lot in the Old Testament that could be said about the work of the Lord and calling together the, the people of Israel, calling a people to himself, sending the prophets, proclaiming a Messiah to come. And then, of course, turning the conversation to Jesus, Jesus the Messiah who has come, and proclaiming the works of Jesus, his healings, his power over evil, his raising of the dead, his calming the sea, multiplying food, but then more importantly, the spiritual works of Jesus, the proclaiming of authoritative truth, the forgiving of sins, him declaring that he was the Son of God, and that he died, and he was buried, and he was raised, and then he has ascended into heaven. And there's, you could go on and on and on. This passage here only is encaptured by, by one uh, chapter. But there's a lot more going on here than just what is captured here. The sermon, which we'll get into next week, is where this eventually goes. A lot of chatter, a lot of people talking to many people in their own language about the powerful works of God. And then Peter stands up and begins to preach. I agree with uh, Kelvy, one of our, our brothers here in the church. He said that this is called the Acts of the Apostles. This could be called the preaching of the Apostles because we're going to see preaching constantly throughout this book. Constantly, one of the Apostles standing up and preaching and declaring God's works and salvation and power by the power of the Holy Spirit so that lost people can hear and understand. But the marvelous thing that is happening here is the people say in verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is astonishing. They know that they're not from this area and they've had to have a translator or not been able to understand people and now all of a sudden there's all this talk of this Jesus and they're understanding it in their language and they are amazed and they are astonished. From the very moment the Holy Spirit breaks into the early church, the gospel of salvation is proclaimed with power. It is proclaimed and it is understood. And that's very important. 
Many people feel like they cannot understand the things of God. They've never understood the things of God. And that's because the Spirit of God has never intervened in their life. You will never understand the things of God until you ask for the Spirit of God to help you understand those things. Until the Spirit of the Lord makes us understand and illumines our minds and changes our soul that we might understand the things of God, we will not understand them. But here we have the intervention of the Spirit to make it understood, and it's really, really important that we grasp that the gospel, the very first time it begins to go out by the Holy Spirit, it goes out to all the nations. It is, this is the known world. He gives us a long list here of everything. Parthian, which is Iran. The Medes, the Kurdish people, northern Iraq. The Elamites, which is northeast Persian Gulf. Mesopotamia, which is Iraq. Judea, south Israel. Cappadocia, eastern Turkey. Pontus, northern Turkey. Asia, the far east. Phrygia, central Turkey, Pamphylia, south Turkey, Egypt, beginning in the north of Africa, Libya in the area of Cyrene, going over to what is now still current day Libya in north Africa, Rome, which is Italy, Crete, the large island south of Italy, and the Arabian Middle East. This was the world that back then. This was everybody. Somebody was there from everywhere. And I think it's very interesting because we always... You know, ask, well, what about the people from the far nations that have never heard of the Lord? And there's much that could be said there. But I want you to see, from the very beginning of the proclamation of the gospel, there was a, a person, a witness, present from all the known world. And the point of this is that they went back to their places to say something. I saw this and heard this most amazing thing about this man named Jesus. The works, the powerful works of God proclaimed it was at this moment translated by speech and language so they could understand. But this work has never stopped. It is a major part of world missions in our day and age, the translation of the Bible, so that people can understand the works of God in their own language. And so it is not our goal to go out in missions and make everyone Westerners, teach them all English. We want them to understand who God is in the context where they are, because the, the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not related to any one particular culture. It is transcultural. And there's, again, there's so much that could be said here, but this is the initial pressing out of these things, that the gospel is for all people, Jew and Gentile, and not from one particular part of the world, but for people in all the world. And God, by the work of his Holy Spirit, is going to make it intelligible so that people can believe no matter where they are coming from. And so the responses that we have here are the same responses that we have to the, to the preaching of Jesus and the same responses that are going to be to the preaching of the apostles throughout the book of Acts. Some believe, they're amazed, and they just want to hear more. Some are perplexed, they don't know what is going on. I'm going to come back and hear this a little bit more, but this makes no sense to me. And then there's the mocking unbelievers. These people are drunk. And, you know, my understanding of that is that God's spirit is not working in their heart. So to them, this just seems like a bunch of babbling. 
they don't understand what's going on because the Spirit of the Lord is not working in them to be able to understand this. But those in whom the Spirit is working, there is a clarity of what is being said. And it's very similar today. Someone sitting in a service like this where to you, this is a great joyous word. And to them, they're like, I have no idea what this person is talking about. This is ridiculous. And they walk out. The same exact sermon, the same exact word, being one being applied by God's Spirit, one not being applied. Well, let's wrap this up and close these things here for the first part of chapter 2. I want you to see here this morning, above all things, that the work of the Holy Spirit first endures and that it should be sought. This is not just something that happened thousands of years ago. Well, that was fascinating. No, it's the beginning, it's the inauguration of a continuing work of the Holy Spirit in the church today. And it's a work that ought to be sought And I want every one of us to lean into this work in the same way that these people did, that we seek the Lord by prayer and by his word, that we are a people that are careful about the holiness of our lives, that we are careful about asking and seeking the Lord to give us more of his spirit, that we might bear the fruits of the spirit, that we might be gifted of the Lord for work in his church, and that as we go out into the world, this work of God's spirit in our life might fill us up to such an extent that people know that we have been with Jesus. When you're around a person that has filled with much of the Spirit of the Lord, you walk away from that person and it just gives you joy. You're like, wow, that person, that, that, that is a Christian right there. That, that, that person, there's something about the work of the Lord in that person's life that greatly encourages me. And we want to be like that as we go out from this place in mission for the sake of the Lord, but it is a work of God's spirit, and I want you to hear me very clearly in that. May we seek this. And lastly, may the Lord be pleased to continue his work individually in our hearts and in this church. I started out with a sad, it was, it was a sad story. It was a story that about broke me. Like when, when, it, when, that, when it just, when things at that past church ended, it was it was, not, it was not easy for me. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. And this church has been such a radically different experience for me. It has been such a joy. But we came into this, we meaning the original elders of this church and the original people in this church, that this church was going to be about seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. This was not going to be about a light show. It was not going to be about a building. It was not going to be about an endowment. It was not going to be about personality and marketing. It was going to be about seeking the Holy Spirit of God by his word, through prayer, through holy living, through earnest Christian love. And if the church is real, and if God is real, and if his spirit is still working as we know he has promised that he would, that it would prosper and it would succeed for the glory of God and for the building up of the church. And this is exactly what we have seen. Sure, there's plenty of struggles along the way. There's going to be plenty more struggles in the future. But I believe earnestly that God is glorified in this place. And I pray that you see something of the Spirit of the Lord in this place and that it encourages you and that you want to lean into and seek and be filled with God's Spirit because of what is happening here in this church and us together. The Holy Spirit has blessed this humble effort and may he continue to lead, and may we continue to follow and give Jesus the glory, and may the, may the lost be saved. Well, let's pray together.